reading this morning is taken from Exodus chapter 18, beginning to read at verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliza, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Then Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them to decrees and the laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. 
and approve them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens, and they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to be looking at um, Exodus chapter 18. Allow me to put the passage first into context. Uh, We've had chapter 16 and 17, where the people of Israel have blamed Moses for their lack of food and water. Have you brought us here to die? And Moses gets increasingly exasperated. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And then there's the war with Amalek. If they made a film of that event, Mel Gibson would probably focus on the battle and the ground, the sweat, the blood, the swords going into the flesh, the heads being lopped off. But the war was actually being fought above, on the hill. Moses holding up the staff of God. It was a spiritual battle going on. Incidentally, the main battles in churches is the spiritual battle. The prayer meeting is the most important meeting in the church's life. It's also the most poorly attended meeting. But as Moses lifts up his hands in prayer, the staff of God, he called the site, by the way, uh, Yahweh Nissi, the Lord is my banner. As his hands are up, Israel was winning. As he grew tired, the battle went the wrong way. And so he had to learn to rely upon Aaron and Hur to help him keep his hands aloft. So Moses is getting all the blame for things that go wrong. And Moses is taking on the spiritual fight by himself. And he had to learn to share some of that load. Now, with those things in mind, we move on to chapter 18. The key verses, I think, of uh, chapter 18 is verse 17 and verse 18. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And maybe uh, some of you will have some sympathy with poor old Moses. You have that constantly ringing telephone, the ever-growing inbox, the awkward customer, and you know exactly what Jethro is talking about here. Jethro is actually warning Moses, you will have a breakdown, mate, if you carry on like this. Moses was only a man. Yeah, a man with a special place in the history of God's people, but still only a man, a finite creature with finite resources. 
And it seems that Moses was possibly near to collapse from sheer physical exhaustion. No wonder. He had huge leadership responsibilities. He was president of Israel, minister of foreign affairs, archbishop of Canterbury, all rolled into one. Not to mention his role as agricultural minister in chapter 16, military commander-in-chief in chapter 17. To say he had a finger in every pie would be a gross understatement. He was baking every pie, picking the fruits to go into every pie, and marketing the pie single-handedly. And if Moses didn't have enough to do here in chapter 18, he's also the high court judge. No other judges in the whole of the land. So the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. There's nowhere else to go. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Before the straw broke the camel's back, Jethro comes to the rescue. Moses was being worn out by the work. The people were being worn out hanging around in the waiting waiting room. And that's a strange thing, isn't it? Hanging around at airports, doctors' waiting room you often get very tired. And Jethro could see the problem. And he knew it would not get any better while Moses sought to give advice to all the people individually. Hence verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Moses had to delegate. It's a simple solution. Of course, there's some things you can't delegate, and Jethro knew that. He knew Moses had a special position in leading the people of God, and that's why verse 19 and verse 22, the difficult cases had to be taken to Moses. So there's some things he couldn't delegate, but if he learned to delegate those things he could, then he would be able to endure, verse 23, and the people would go home satisfied. Moses is not Superman. He's just human. And I think that's the point of this passage. Moses is only a man. And it might seem obvious, but this is a strange chapter. And it comes at a strange position in the book. I mean, up to this point, you've seen the most thrilling things happen. Crossing the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from the rock. And then you suddenly get all this admin stuff. And then we go to chapter 19, to where Moses goes to the top of the mountain and meets with God. That's the high point, I think, of the whole book, by the way. So, um, verse 9 of chapter 19. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, and the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. What amazing words. Moses is going to have such responsibility. And it's important that power does not go to his head. And that the people remember he is only a man. And that's a problem when you have a charismatic leader who everyone looks up to. Sadly for many, the power goes to their head. So I'm thinking of the nine o'clock service. Those of you, not the nine o'clock service here, by the way, the nine o'clock service in Sheffield, it was called. Um, For those of you who can remember that, Reverend Chris Brain, he's in the news again at the moment as well. 
thinking of um, Soul Survivor with Mike, Mike Pilvacci. He's also in the news. Moses had done so much more than those or any other church leader for that matter. So the people have seen Moses come up to the Red Sea, the Egyptian military machine behind them, and you are sure your life is going to end. You've got nowhere to go. But Moses raises his staff, he stretches out his hand, and the Red Sea opens up, and you walk across on dry land. And as the Egyptians are chasing, Moses turns around, lifts up his hands again, and the water crashes in and destroys the Egyptian army. Moses, wow! Three days later, nothing to eat and drink. Moses throws a piece of wood into a polluted water and the water becomes drinkable. What a man. Two months later, still in the desert with nothing to eat, Moses promises them bread in the morning and meat at night so they get manna and quail. Then the events of chapter 17. Is there anything that Moses cannot do? Now, if you see Moses do all of that, there is one great danger, isn't there? You begin to treat Moses as more than a mere man. So no wonder they all stand around Moses in chapter 18 to get his judgment. If you see Moses do all of that, why would you go to anyone else? And there's the danger. To see a great man and to make him more than a man. And there's the danger for us too. When there's gifted and learned people with lots of titles saying things those charismatic personalities, the danger is we stop being discerning and we take their word as gospel. And so all the way through the book of Exodus, the people of God have found it difficult to trust the Lord. And now they might be tempted to trust just Moses. And this whole delegation business is to teach the people that they can follow God without turning to Moses all the time. And Jethro is absolutely key in all of this. The Israelites might have been tempted to have the wrong view of Moses, but Jethro wouldn't. And do you know why? Well, it's there in verse 1. He was Moses' father-in-law. Moses lived with Jethro for 40 years. Jethro knew exactly what Moses was really like. You tend to know especially well when you're living in tents for 40 years, don't you? So Jethro knew Moses was just a man. When you live with people... For that long, you see all their foibles. You can't pull the wool over their eyes. So you might think I'm superhuman, but Pavey will tell you otherwise. And what's more, Jethro was a Midianite. He hadn't been with the Israelites when Moses brought them up out of Egypt and done all those amazing things. So there's no confusion in Jethro's mind about all the events. So verse 1, Jethro heard everything God had done. And that's the refrain all the way through the first part of chapter 18, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. The Lord has done it all. There's no confusion in Jethro's mind. So he treated Moses as nothing more than a man. There's respect. Moses was used by God. He has a special place in human history, but nevertheless he is a man. And that's why it was easy for him to make those suggestions about delegation. And so we have to ensure that our faith is in the Lord alone, that we're not allowing a human being to keep our faith propped up. So the nine o'clock service I mentioned earlier, when the pastor went off the rails, many in the congregation found their faith shipwrecked because they've been trusting in him, not the Lord. 
Clearly, by the way, if a leader goes astray in any church, it's devastating for the congregation, but it shouldn't shipwreck individuals' faith in God. We must ensure that our trust is in the Lord and not in an individual. Sometimes a soldier comes into my office and will go, Padre, will you pray for me? They outline their problem. On one particular occasion, the soldier told me their problem and I said I would pray for them and they went to walk out and I told them, where are you going? Get back in here, I'm going to pray with you. They seem to think that I have a special relationship with God, um, which they can't have. I heard of one Australian pastor who when people came to ask for prayer from him, he would go, pray for yourself, you lazy old coot. I don't go quite that far. By the way, he did pray for people. He wasn't heartless, but he was making the same point that I do. I pray with the soldier, and as they go, I say to them, you can approach God yourself, you know. I want them to know that just because I'm the padre, I don't have a monopoly on prayer. I want them to understand it is God and not me that they are coming to. And we can do the same with preachers. And there are some very good preachers around. And sometimes we might be tempted to take everything they say uncritically. Of course, we would never dream of saying that they were God. But our attitude, if we take their words without a second thought, is not far from that, by the way. We can become undiscerning when we come across a person with certain positions in the church. And it doesn't matter if they are called reverend, venerable, very reverend, right reverend, most reverend. We do have some strange titles in the Church of England, don't we? It doesn't matter. They are all human beings. But we mustn't go to the other extreme and just forget about leadership and church order altogether. So that you see in this passage there are different levels of leadership and responsibility. Verse 25, there were leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, It wasn't everybody do your own thing as you like. There were still leaders, but everyone didn't go to one man anymore. So their faith would be in the Lord rather than that one human being. And it's crucial we get this right, because men and women will let us down. Not necessarily on purpose, but because we are human. It's good to have Christian role models, but if they're more than that, you can easily be let down when they make a mistake, when they say something you never dreamed they would say, or whatever it is. But the Lord will never let us down. And when we've got this right, we will understand that maybe maybe God can use me. You see, in many churches, all the work is done by a few people. Sometimes it's because the few see themselves as being something great. But most of the time it's because the other people look at these people in positions and think, I could never do that. But actually we all have a role to play in God's kingdom. I could point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And of course there's different levels of responsibility. Not everyone is in charge of the thousands. What might God be calling you to So it's about this time the annual meetings happen and the electoral rolls have to be sort of formed and uh, you start voting for PCCs and deanery synods and all that. 
A few weeks ago, the last time I was here, we were asking for people to help with the teas and the coffees. We need people to welcome people at the start of the service, people to help with the sound system, setting up behind the scenes, and there's all sorts of jobs during the week as well, which uh, doesn't get seen at all. And during this time of interregnum, it's important we don't wear out individuals, that we all play our parts. What is God calling you to? Now there's some kind of discernment that needs to take place. It's not a free-for-all. So you see verse 21 there, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Notice, by the way, they don't need to have their faith all squared away. There might be gaps in their theological understanding. They don't need to know everything. They just need to fear God. That means they'll be searching for the things of God, seeking to do his will in their lives. Their hearts need to be right. That's it. And the main thing about fearing God means it's they're going to be caring for the things of God, doing the things of God, what God thinks is right. Being able to say those difficult things if needed because they don't fear men, they fear God. And one of the problems in the Church of England at the moment is our leaders are trying to be people pleasers rather than God fearers. It's interesting in the regiments where I've served, the colonel always trusts the padre because the other officers, well, he writes their reports. And they want to make sure they get good reports and they want to become the colonel of the regiment at some point. But as a padre, I haven't got any inkling to become a colonel of a regiment. I don't actually care what the colonel writes on my report. And so he always trusts our words. They need to be trustworthy people who are not looking to use the position for their own gain, financial, to look good, or whatever. It's about serving God by serving his people. Now, sometimes it might be difficult to know what you might be being called to. But what about the person sitting next to you? Select capable people. It wasn't self-selection. Others would see the call and make the suggestions to the leadership. And that's how it works normally within our churches. We see somebody, we think you could be doing that, we ask them about it, and then we talk to the church wardens or other people in leadership within the life of the church, and then a period of discernment takes place. Look around at the body. How might God be using people here? So our trust needs to be in the Lord and in him alone. Church leadership is not for one person. We are the body of Christ. Everyone has a part to play, and those things which can be delegated should be delegated, so we don't wear each other out. Amen.